The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Red across the board, investors bracing for another day of losses as stock futures point sharply to a lower open. And attention continues to be solely focused on the Fed. Today, more than a half a dozen central bank presidents, they will have their say and possibly dictate the market's next move. UBS's Mark Cafley is here to kind of sift through all the noise. And we're following reports this morning that one key member of President Biden's economic team is planning her exit. Those details are ahead. Plus, the IMF slamming the new economic measures laid out by the U.K. government in a rare rebuke of domestic fiscal policy. And later on, Hurricane Ian is gaining strength and now a Category 4 storm before making landfall. A live report from the Gulf Coast coming up. It is Wednesday, September the 28th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good Wednesday morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off your Wednesday morning with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a mostly lower day for the major averages, with the Dow and the S&P hitting their lowest intraday levels since November of 2020, Futures right now, as you can see, right across the board. The Dow looks like it'll open up about 100 points lower at the open. The Nasdaq and the S&P lower as well. We also want to keep our eye on the bond market. Yields continue to move higher, hitting multi-year highs. The five-year, its highest level since 2007, right here at 4.19. Also, the 10-year, highest level since 2010. You see it this morning at 3.988, just bumping against that 4% yield, something that the markets are certainly watching. And the 30-year long bond, the highest since 2014. Also, along with bonds, we have to check on the rates for the 30-year fixed mortgage, the mortgage that most of us have for our homes. It's above 7% for the first time in nearly 20 years. We're also watching the energy market, of course, with Hurricane Ian in the Gulf Coast. Oil, however, staying mostly steady. We're seeing WTI at 78 bucks a barrel, Brent crude at 85 bucks a barrel, almost 86, pretty much the same levels that we saw yesterday morning. Also, always watching crypto, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether, both of them lower this morning. Bitcoin especially we're watching below 19,000. Remember, yesterday morning was just a tick above 20,000. A very busy trading day shaping up in Europe. Let's send it out to Arabile Gumede in our London newsroom. Arabile, good morning. Yeah, so it's a good morning to you. Certainly the negative sentiment has filtered through, coming through from Europe as well. Then we've gotten a sense that things haven't been quite good. You made note earlier of the IMF versus trust. Of course, the UK uh, economy has certainly been a big question mark then around those energy savings, uh, the energy price guarantee, which the UK government has put together, the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, indeed noting that he's going to try and save around £60 billion. That's just in the next six months or so. It could cost anything more than that. 
over the next couple of months as well. At the same time, later on, you, of course, have those expanded tax cuts, which are unfunded too. So negative sentiment coming through, worries around inflation, worries around a recessionary outlook as well, affecting the market with more than 1% loss across most of the European markets. Only the healthcare sector seeming to find some sense of positivity up there more than 1%, but 1.5% weaker for the FTSE MIB in Italy following the Italian elections as well. So negativity certainly filtering through uh, into that uh, market picture. On to then how the sterling has certainly performed. Also very interesting uh, market note over here. Of course, weakness, uh, a record low when it comes to this market. The International Monetary Fund indeed criticizing the UK's plans for those tax cuts and calling on Truss's government to, quote, uh, reevaluate the situation. The group even warning that the £45 billion package, which was announced by the finance minister, Kwasi Kwarteng, uh, last week, could then further fuel already elevated levels of inflation. The IMF said it is engaged with UK authorities and that it is important that the fiscal policy, quote, does not work at cross-purposes to monetary policy. So we are expecting to see uh, a further hike excuse me, in interest rates then uh, by the Bank of England. How much that will be is certainly the question at hand. Arabile, thanks for the latest on the overseas action. Great to see you. All right, let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. White House officials are reportedly preparing for the potential departure of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen after the midterm elections. According to Axios, the process is still in the early stages and a decision on Yellen or other cabinet replacements have not been made. In addition to Yellen, Axios also says National Economic Council Director Brian Deese could also be departing as soon as next year. Lyft says it is freezing hiring in the U.S. until at least next year, citing an uncertain economy. The move is an extension of the company's decision in May to slow hiring and rein in costs. Lyft shares are down 67 percent this year alone and off more than 80 percent since going public back in 2019. Senior House Democrats late yesterday releasing a proposal, meantime, to restrict stock ownership and trading by members of Congress. The president and vice president, as well as Supreme Court justices and other high-ranking officials. The bill could be introduced to the full chamber as soon as today, but any vote on the measure is uncertain at this time. In addition to equities, the bill's restrictions also cover commodities, futures, cryptocurrency, derivatives, and options. Frank? All right, Bertha, thank you very much. We'll see you later on in the show. All right, back to the broader markets now. U.S. stock futures again pointing to more losses at the open with stocks trading at their lowest levels of the year. And we also have a flurry of Fed officials appearing to be doing their best to dampen investor appetite for risk assets. That includes Charles Evans, Neil Kashkari, and James Bullard, all of them striking hawkish tones, calling for more rate hikes and keeping them high even if the economy should falter. Joining me now is UBS Global Wealth Management Chief Investment Officer Mark Hafeli to break all this down. Mark, great to have you here this morning. Thank you. So, Mark, if you don't mind, let's start off with bonds. You put out a note yesterday uh, saying in part, as we see the 10-year nearly hitting that 4% yield, the rise in longer-term yields may not accurately reflect the risk facing the markets. And you also believe they just run too far. Uh, The 10-year, obviously, and the 30-year hitting multi-year highs. What do you mean by that? Kind of explain that theory, because a lot of people actually are are going to the bond market for safety and and kind of a place to hide. Well, I think that's what we're saying, right, which is that, uh, you know, given 
where the Fed is uh, on ha- on having moved and continuing to move, the the bond market is is uh, saying that is right now saying, well, this is going to continue forever, and we're saying actually some of this is starting to bite, and that you could see rates level off or fall from here uh, as as some of this growth come comes out of say the U.S. economy. Uh, we're definitely already seeing some of that growth come out, out of the U.S. economy, especially as you mentioned. The Tina trade's kind of falling apart right now. There clearly is an alternative. Bonds have become those alternatives. Uh, just in general, we have PCE coming up on Friday. I've been asking other people. The Fed doesn't seem like it's going to change its mind about the direction it's going in, but a better-than-expected inflation report, does that change the mind of the market meaningfully? And, and how, how much better does it really have to be? Well, I think that the Fed is going to have to see several better reports before they even consider uh, pulling back from this rhetoric of hiking and things, because if they if they pull back now in the face even of some moderate uh, weakness in some of the data, they're just they're just fighting against themselves. Ultimately, they want to pull that inflation in. They want to see some of an impact uh, before they they change change in their rhetoric. And so, you know, for for us, I think the being position more on the defensive side in equities, more towards the consumer staples, more towards health care. That's the direction we've been going because, you know, as we set up for the next earnings season, we do think that analyst estimates remain too high and end of the year targets are too high. So be more defensive on the equity side. Well, as you know, on Wall Street, a lot of people say you buy on the rumor and you sell on the news. Is there any chance that better than, expect, uh, better than expected inflation report, just at least one might just at least start the thinking that the Fed might turn more dovish in the future? Well, we've seen that. You're absolutely right. You know, uh, one good data point, and we get these sharp bear market rallies. And so, and that in part says to us that there is still a lot of liquidity sloshing around out there. And some of that's going to have to probably get sopped up before this is this is really over. So what that means is that the volatility is absolutely going to continue and there's still people who are going to chase it. But I think that for, for many investors looking through that a little bit and focusing on the companies that uh, can do well in a high inflationary environment that have pricing power is a, is probably a better strategy than trying to uh, hit every one of these volatile bounces. So obviously the Fed has its own data points to look because it looks at like PCE. But one question for you, um, why isn't the Fed listening to FedEx? You saw the CEO of FedEx come out and say, hey, things are really slowing down. And we've seen that in the supply chain. One of the things that's been a contributing factor to inflation the supply chain has certainly uh, lowered when it comes to prices and volume. So why isn't the Fed responding to that at all? Well, and just to add to that, you know, the futures were actually up this morning until Apple said it has weaker demand for the iPhone. And then and then they turned around as well. It's too early for the Fed to respond to that because that wage, uh, the wage pressure remains and that employment is so strong. And if you think about, uh, you know, for, for the U.S. To, to have a recession and really see that this uh, slower growth is, is, pulling, is helping to pull down inflation, it's very difficult given what we're seeing on, on the labor side. So I don't think they're going to relent until they start to see it showing up in the labor market. All right, Mark, hopefully we appreciate the insight. I know one other thing you're watching is foreign currencies in their slots, something we have to watch here with that stronger dollar. Thank you again. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, Vice President Harris raising the stakes 
with China during an overseas trip to the region. The response from Beijing, that's coming up. Plus, Florida bracing for Hurricane Ian to make landfall now as a Category 4 storm. A live report from the ground, that's coming up. And later, trouble with Elon Musk's defense and his bid to terminate his Twitter deal. Now his own data scientist can't back up some of his own claims. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort what does it mean to be rich is it having more stories to share or time to give Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Vice President Kamala Harris continuing her trip across Asia, offering fresh criticism of China. The vice president condemning what she calls disturbing actions by Beijing in the Pacific and also pledging to deepen unofficial ties with Taiwan. Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing. Eunice, what's the reaction by leaders there to the vice president's comments? Well, Frank, the signals are not being lost on the Chinese. Um, Vice President Harris uh, spoke at a U.S. naval installation near Tokyo, uh, sending an informal reminder of the U.S.'s massive military presence in the region. Her speech also comes after President Biden had said that U.S. military personnel could be used to defend Taiwan, an island that Beijing claims as its own. Uh, The foreign ministry today uh, warned against any attempts to promote Taiwan independence, calling them doomed to fail. And this comes after uh, days ago when the uh, foreign minister, Wang Yi, had told Secretary of State Anthony Blinken that the U.S. is sending dangerous signals to Taipei. Now, from Japan, Harris is going to head to South Korea, where she is going to be uh, visiting the demilitarized zone with North Korea and also uh, meeting with the president, Yoon Sung-yeol. The two are supposed to be, according to U.S. officials, uh, discussing uh, several different issues, North Korea, uh, Taiwan, as well as the economic alliance between the U.S. and South Korea. And more specifically, uh, the expectation is that she's going to talk about chips and the tax credits for EVs as part of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, The Koreans uh, see that uh, program as discriminatory against South Korean cars. Frank? Well, Eunice, you know, dating all the way back to the trade war, we've seen China make some harsh responses, I would say, to comments from U.S. officials. Does it appear now that China is tempering its responses to U.S. officials, especially this comment? Well, with this comment, it does seem much more muted, um, which is an expectation um, given the timing of everything. And that, by, by that, I mean that uh, we're only weeks away from a massive political reshuffle, an event where uh, President Xi Jinping is seen as taking a third term. So 
Um, so everything right now seems to be geared towards stability. So making sure the markets are stable, making sure the uh, yuan is stable. And also in terms of Taiwan, the uh, tensions between the U.S. and China over the island are stable as well. And in fact, uh, we had uh, President Xi Jinping appearing on state TV recently just to kind of send the message that he is still in power. He's here. He was walking around with all of his his uh, top leadership to make sure that uh, there isn't any question about his position. All right, Eunice, you we watch your reports all day. We know you're on top of this story. Great to see you as always. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, your top trending stories, including McDonald's rolling out a happy meal for those who are at least young at heart. You got to see this one. Stay with us. Today's big number, 87 percent. That's the share of companies that went public in the U.S. last year that are trading below their offering prices, according to data by DealLogic. Shares of those IPOs have lost an average of 49% in that period as of Friday's close. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're going to take a quick check of the market's futures at session lows right now, with the Dow indicating it'll open up almost 300 points lower at this point. We also want you to check out the slow, steady decline in futures over the past six hours. Take a look at this chart. This is Apple warns about lagging uh, iPhone demand, partially due to China's demand being lower. We also want to look at some of the pre-market Dow laggards, including Apple, actually, as part of that warning right now. Also looking at United Health and Microsoft, both down about a percent and a half. J.P. Morgan Chase, almost down a percent and a half. And, of course, we're keeping our eye on mega cap tech, especially with that rise in rates this morning. Apple on that board as well, down 4 percent. Amazon down 2 percent. One of the better performing stocks in mega cap tech right now is Netflix, only down about a half a percent. But you see Google again down a half a percent as well. All right. Welcome back. We want to get back to a developing story this morning. Hurricane Ian, it's moving north through the Florida coast and is set to make landfall in just a few hours. And just moments ago, strengthening into a Category 4 storm with maximum sustained winds near 140 miles per hour. Ahead of the storm, Amazon is temporarily closing warehouses. Walt Disney World and Universal Studios Orlando, they're also shutting down, at least for the time being. And NASA is once again scrubbing its Artemis moon mission and moving its rocket back into storage. NBC's Chris Pallone, he's live in Tampa, right in the path of Ian. Chris, number one, I hope you're safe, but what are you seeing out there? Yeah, Frank, over the last half hour or so, the rain has really started to intensify. The winds are picking up just a little bit. We're still quite a ways from this storm. The good news, if there's any for Tampa Bay, is it looks like this storm is going to make landfall south of here down towards Fort Myers and Sarasota. But still, we're in the path, as you mentioned. And state officials say that the time for preparation is over. Now people are just bracing for impact. Overnight, Hurricane Ian brought high winds and heavy rain to the Florida Keys and spawned several tornado warnings across South Florida. State officials making one last plea before landfall. I implore 
I urge everyone that is in an evacuation zone that has been asked to evacuate, the time is now. You must evacuate now. About 2.5 million Floridians have been ordered to evacuate. At times, highways out of the southwest Gulf Coast were bumper to bumper. The Tampa airport packed with people trying to get on the last flights out, though not everyone was excited to leave their homes. And you're not planning on leaving that house? No way. Why not? Because I like it there. Others, though, were happy to head to one of the many public shelters on higher ground. I was so afraid. Either way, I didn't know what to do. State officials fear Ian will bring down trees and power lines, flash floods, and devastating storm surge to a wide swath of the state. We can rebuild property, we can fix infrastructure, you can fix your home. Uh, you don't get a mulligan when your personal safety is at risk. They're urging people in the storm's path not to make a fatal mistake. Mother Nature wins every single time. A monster threat now arriving. And forecasters say this is not just a southwest Florida problem. Once this storm makes landfall later this afternoon or early this evening, it's expected to slow down even further, meaning that while there will be lots of storm surge where the storm hits and lots of rain as it moves inland to places like Orlando, it's going to cause flash flooding there. The ground is already saturated from summer storms leading up to this. And then it will move to the eastern part of the state and even offshore off the east coast of Florida. Forecasters say it could cause record storm surge in places like Jacksonville on the Atlantic. Frank? Wow. You know, very concerning storm. Um, I saw in your story there some people plan to stay. I believe this is the first time a hurricane's hit the Tampa Bay area in about 100 years. Is the city prepared for those people that aren't ready to move? Obviously, on the other side of the state, people are more used to this. But first one in 100 years this time. Yeah, I think by and large, in my experience over the last few days, it appears that most people have gotten out or or are ready for this. Uh, they seem to be taking it very seriously. There are always going to be those who say, I'm just going to ride it out. And if they're not in evacuation zones, they might be okay. But essentially, state officials said, look, if we tell you to get out and you don't get out, there's going to be a point in the storm where we can do nothing for you if you call for help. Chris Pallone, you're a trooper. I've seen you cover storms from New England all the way down to Florida. Stay safe. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange with stocks on track for their likely seventh down day in a row. Our John Najarian, he's here to break down the unusual options action and also talk the markets a bit. And also a reminder, amid the market's continued volatility, right now the Dow futures looking like they're going to open up about 300 points lower. Be sure to sign up for the most powerful investment event of the year, CNBC's Delivering Alpha. It returns today. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com for much, much more. Stay with us. The selling set to continue after the S&P 500 tests new lows for the year. Futures are pointing to a lower open. Heading for the exit, new details on the Biden administration reportedly bracing for Janet Yellen to wrap up her time as the head of the Treasury Department. And failure to take off as corporate travel continues to hover at pre-pandemic levels. The names that are getting hit the hardest and where the opportunities may be in the sector. It is Wednesday, September the 28th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's get right to stock futures. We want to point out right now the drop in the stock in the in the, the futures. Uh, the Dow almost 285, 300 points lower. That's how it looks. It'll open up uh, about one percent lower across the board for the S and P and the Nasdaq. The Nasdaq actually looked like it'll open up about a percent and a half lower. Um, something to certainly watch as we continue this morning. All right, we also want to watch the bond market. Very important to note: the ten-year topping four percent. First time in 14 years at 4.005%. We're also seeing still that yield curve inversion with a two-year note above four and a quarter right now. We also want to hit oil, especially as Hurricane Ian is hitting the Gulf Coast and cutting production. But we're seeing pretty much the same levels for oil. Oil actually ticking slightly lower this morning. WTI at 78 a barrel. Brent crude at 86 a barrel. Basically what we've seen all morning long and also what we saw yesterday morning. All right, let's get a check on some of the morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombe is back with those. Good morning again, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Frank. Congress making progress in avoiding a government shutdown with the clock ticking down to the deadline. The Senate voting last night to advance a stopgap funding bill. This after Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer removed a highly contested energy permitting provision for energy products that was being demanded by Senator Joe Manchin. The bill, which will extend current government funding levels until mid-December, now moves to final passage in the Senate and will also need approval in the House before Saturday's deadline. The Biden administration is reportedly preparing for Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen's potential departure from the administration. That, according to Axios, her exit would come after the midterm elections and would mark the first and most significant departure by a member of the Biden economic team. Axios adds, in addition to Yellen, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese could also depart as soon as next year. And Elon Musk and Twitter fighting over several matters during a hearing Tuesday ahead of their trial over Musk's failed bid to take the company private. Among the issues raised, Twitter claimed Musk's own data scientists did not support his claim that the number of fake accounts on the social media platform is, quote, wildly higher than the company's estimates. Musk's legal team said they needed time to respond to these new claims by Twitter. This is going to be a very interesting trial to watch, Frank, to say the least. Bertha, all I can say is the saga continues. Thanks for the headlines. All right. <laughs> Stocks gearing up for yet another potentially rough trading day. And what's been the overall theme for the markets in September? Again, we're seeing Dow futures down about 270 points. Overall, the Nasdaq looks like it's going to open up about a percent and a half lower. With only a few days left in the trading month, all three indices facing steep losses in what is generally historically one of the worst trading months of the year. The Dow and the S&P down more than 7.5%. The Nasdaq down more than 8%. For much more on the markets and where options action is taking shape, let's bring in John Nigerian, Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor. Great to have you here, John. Great to be with you, Frank. Thank right. you very much. We're going to get to your option activity in just a second, but I want to get your take on what's a bit of breaking news this morning. The 10-year topping, 10-year yield topping 4% for the first time in 14 years. How do you see that shaping up the market action today? Well, uh, just yesterday, Neil Kashkari was talking about uh, that there needs to be more you know, he didn't say pain, which is what Jerome Powell said after Jackson Hole. But certainly he said we're going to see more of the same sort of uh, 
action that the Fed has already done, which is continued raising of interest rates to try to slow down inflation. And clearly, the markets are not happy about that. And obviously, uh, this is something that impacts all borrowing from credit cards to mortgages to the government itself. And the government is the largest borrower, Frank. Yeah. One factor in the markets of the future slide this morning was Apple's warning about flagging iPhone demand. Don't want to focus on this too much, but do you see that continue to impact the market? Obviously, Apple's such an indicator of the consumer and also a big mover and shaker when it comes to supply chain, importing a lot of things from China. Exactly. And a lot of the demand that they would expect from China, not nearly as strong uh, because of what's been going on with the lockdowns and so forth, Frank. So uh, Apple is certainly a bellwether. It's my single largest holding. So I'm one of those folks who uh, just kind of uh, grits my teeth when I hear anything <laughs> bad about Apple. <laughs> All right, I think a lot of people get nervous when you start gritting your teeth. All right, easy segue here. Let's, let's talk about China and, and your options moves right now. You're watching the moves on the FXI, and you're actually seeing some bullish call buying there. Yeah, I mean, this one has been pretty much locked for the last uh, 10 days or so between, say, $26 and $27 per ETF. And somebody put on a really big bet yesterday, Frank, one of the biggest we've seen this year, 80,000 of the upside calls at the 28th strike uh, in November. Now, that gives them a lot of time because that's two full months into the future. But it's also a, a sign that perhaps... China, somebody believes, is getting ready to unlock uh, and to perhaps open back up. And that would be a good thing for what you and I just discussed with Apple, but also puts a lot of demand on crude oil and a lot of the uh, fossil fuels because they have been pretty much shut down for most of the last four months, maybe even six months, Frank. Yeah, definitely a factor when it comes to oil prices. All right. Your second options move that you're watching is the EMB. This is an ETF, I believe, that follows emerging markets bonds. We see a lot of action in the U.S. bond market. But what are the calls that you're seeing say about at least the sentiment in the emerging market bond market? Yeah. When you see um, a bond ETF down 29 percent year to date, which is what the EMB, that's that J.P. Morgan Emerging Market Bond Index you described, that is a huge move. And here they're betting that they're going to fall further still, Frank. They were buying 20,000 of the December 75 puts with that bond trading basically at 80. So that's pretty considerable downside again from a, an ETF that's already down 29% year to date. So that means people are betting against some of those emerging markets uh, and saying that, boy, the yields have to keep going up. All right, you're also seeing some bullish call buying when it comes to CVE. You're going to have to walk me through this. CVE does both gas and natural gas. Natural gas booming. Oil's been pretty much depressed. Um, so kind of explain this. Is this also another bet that China's going to reopen and that oil demand's going to tick up as well? Yeah. Um, yesterday, we saw a bit of a turnaround in the crude oil contract uh, and Sonovus Energy CVE certainly would benefit from that. Um, and here they're also buying big December uh, activity uh, at the 20 strike. It's a $15 stock, Frank, and it's down like 45 percent just in the last few months. Um, as, as you've seen and talked about with the turn we've seen in energy with China basically backing off and in uh, the recession fears 
certainly as high or going higher uh, than any we've seen in recent history. This is one of those reasons that we've seen a fall off in demand for crude oil. Uh, but obviously going into the winter and with China reopening, I think oil and gas plays are pretty tasty at this level. This would be one of the areas of the economy I'd really go into in a bigger way right now. All right, Dr. J, we appreciate your insight on the options action. I think a lot of people might be gritting their teeth this morning along with you with the futures looking the way they are. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. Always good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Coming up, your morning's big money movers and what has shares of one Japanese drug maker surging in overseas trading. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. We have to begin with McDonald's set to introduce an adult version of its very popular Happy Meal. Starting on Monday, customers can order a meal complete with a toy made in collaboration with popular streetwear brand Cactus Plant Flea Market. Yes, it's an adult Happy Meal. Also, a mansion in Aspen, Colorado, selling for $69 million. The sale of the property known as Silver Lining Ranch marks one of the most expensive residential sales in the state's vacations de- destination. And this is what I'm pretty excited about. He's back. We've been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for uh, a good long while now. I've had to really search my soul on this one. It's been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside. I have nothing. Yeah. It's completely empty up here. And terrifying. But we did have one idea. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds announced that Hugh Jackman will be reprising his role as the popular Marvel mutant Wolverine in Deadpool 3. He's really the only person that can do it. Reynolds announced in the film marking Deadpool's first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, highly anticipated. That movie will debut in theaters in September of 2024. I can't wait. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers for big stock stories of this morning. First up, we have to begin with Apple. Bloomberg reports the company is dropping plans to increase production of the iPhone 14 this year after a surge in demand that just failed to materialize. Apple now aims to produce 90 million iPhones in the second half of the year that was in line with its original forecast this summer. Bloomberg also adds demand for the higher-priced iPhone 14 Pro and the Pro Max is stronger than entry-level models. Apple shares down about 4%. Up next, Isai and Biogen shares of the Japanese drug maker. They're surging in Tokyo today. You see Isai up 17%, Biogen up almost 40% after the company say their experimental treatment for Alzheimer significantly slowed progression of the disease in a large study. The late-stage trial has been eagerly anticipated after the failed U.S. launch of Adalim last year, a drug also developed by Isai and Biogen. Also, we're looking at the chip sector. Shares of Taiwan Semiconductor falling today. Digitime, citing industry insiders, reports most of the company's major clients, except for Apple, they've cut orders for next year. This includes AMD, NVIDIA, and Qualcomm. The move could result in Taiwan Semi cutting its revenue forecast for 2023. And then finally, BlackBerry. That stock is lower, even as the company reported a smaller-than-expected second-quarter loss. You see shares down about a half a percent right now. It also beat revenue forecast. Revenue from its cybersecurity business fell, as it said customers reined in spending due to economic uncertainty. All right, time now for something random but interesting. And, of course, for that, we send it out to our Brian Sullivan. 
In today's RBI, let's talk real estate, because we know that housing has been slowing down in a lot of cities and towns across America, sometimes very quickly. The pandemic boom is petering out, but not everywhere it would seem. And here on CNBC, you know that we always love to show you some kind of eye-popping real estate that, you know, you can buy for like tens of millions of dollars. That's what Robert Frank does best. But today, we're going to actually go downscale just a little bit to a very modest 1,660-square-foot house in Cupertino, California. That is Apple's hometown. But when we say modest, we mean in size only, certainly not in price, because I think this is pretty random but interesting around real estate. The San Jose Mercury News notes that this little home that you're seeing just sold for, wait for it, $2.3 million. That is nearly $1,400 per square feet per foot. The paper notes the house was built in 1970 by a very popular design firm at the time, It's got a nice little backyard that they say is ready for some expansion if need be. When it was built, the house cost just $35,000, which probably seemed like a fortune to the buyer at the time. But it also turned out to be one heck of an investment. Think of it this way. $35,000 in 1970 is the same as about $275,000 in today's money adjusted for inflation, which means that the current sale price of $2.3 million provided for a return of 740%. To compare over the same period, the S&P 500 has returned just 415%. That's not including dividends, but it would still come out a likely winner. And keep in mind, both of those numbers are in today's dollars. So on an inflation-adjusted basis, and even including interest and taxes and maintenance, buying that little modest California home back in 1970, the American dream, would have probably made you a big-time market beater and very rich. And you could sleep there. Random? but interesting on real estate. All right, thanks to Brian for this morning's RBI. All right, turning our attention to the travel industry now, facing a slow rebound when it comes to corporate travel. Bookings by companies hovering well below pre-COVID levels with some major corporations telling their workers to actually scale back their hotels and their flights. Our Seema Modi joins us now with more on what that means for the industry. Good morning, Seema. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, that's right. Business travel is returning, but slower than what analysts had anticipated. Corporate bookings are tracking 25% off pre-pandemic levels, a similar range to prior months, but certainly better than what we saw earlier this year. For context, bookings in January were 65% off 2019 highs. All this data, according to TripAm. Now, Gregory Miller at Truist, who covers the travel industry, does not attribute this stall in demand due to a recession. He says it's driven by the Zoom effect with more employees working from home. That's what he says is behind what we're seeing in the travel numbers. Corporate travel, I should point out, also looks different than before the pandemic with smaller gatherings and a shorter booking window. Tyler Morris, the third largest hotel operator in the U.S., telling me he's seeing that at his hotels, but adds that it's giving him pricing power. And that's the silver lining. Pricing of corporate bookings remains strong. The biggest drag is the tech sector, where trips have been slower to recover. Google making headlines earlier this month, asking employees to cut back on travel expenses. However, a survey from TripActions found that engineers, marketing, and product executives are driving the share of business travel post-Labor Day. Frank? Yeah, it's interesting. So any signs of a recession in hotel bookings with all this kind of guidance coming from companies to kind of scale things back? 
No signs of a recession at this point, Frank. In fact, I spoke to John Bortz, the CEO of Pebblebrook, a major hotel real estate and investment trust. He says occupancy in San Francisco at his hotels was above 90 percent last week. And that's because we are in the midst of conference season. We've got our own today delivering alpha. Uh, but that's certainly driving hotel occupancy. Now, the minute we start to see prices start to drop and cancellations increase, that, of course, could raise some concerns that the travel industry is starting to be hit by the economic concerns that we're seeing right now. All right. We know you're staying on top of it. Arsima Modi with the latest on the travel beat. Thank you. On deck here on Worldwide Exchange, another tough trading day shape taking shape. Well, our next guest says your current macro picture and central bank policies mean stocks will be left to fend for themselves. But first, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and our contributors. As we head to break, here is former United Airlines chairman and CEO Oscar Munoz. Bias exists in America. It always will. We just have to be honest about it. And, and I think for underrepresented minorities in particular, there's an old adage that sometimes you have to work twice as hard to get half as far. I do believe from my heritage that we believe we want to earn our place on this earth, on this planet, in our communities. And, and so, um, you know, if you look at the statistics, we're not just a growing community, which everyone talks about, but we're a growing economic environment. We are voters. We are purchasers to large, large amounts. I mean, uh, the, the GDP of the Latino cohort in America is equal to the seventh largest nation in the world. That's how you want to look at us as, as someone to market to, someone to embrace. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Several Fed members speaking today, giving markets plenty to chew on. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic kicking off the lineup at 8.35 a.m. Eastern, followed by St. Louis Fed President James Bullard at 10.10 and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell at 10.15. Fed Governor Michelle Bowman will be speaking at 11 with Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin, following closely at 11.30 and then closing out the day. Chicago Fed President Charles Evans at 2 p.m., and Kansas City Fed President Esther George at 225. So a very busy day with Fed officials. All right, let's stay on the Fed and how its policy is impacting your money. We're going to take a look at futures right now. Futures right across the board. The Dow actually falling a bit lower from earlier in the show. Down, looking like it'll open up about 250 points lower at this time. The S&P and the Nasdaq both uh, about a percent lower as well. Your next guest says he doesn't see a Fed pivot on the horizon anytime soon. Joining me now is Scott Ladner, Chief Investment Officer at Horizon Investments. Scott, thanks for being here. Hey, Frank. Nice to, nice, thanks for having me. So we're doing a lot of talk about the Fed and these Fed officials speaking. Um, I got to say, a lot of things they've been saying have been pretty dire about the economy and the job market, their expectations that there will be job losses. One of the things that they're looking at is PCE, also CPI, but PCE, that's their preferred gauge. It's coming up on Friday. But it is a lagging indicator. So I want to ask you, why aren't Fed officials listening to companies like Apple? There are reports out that it's seeing falling demand and also FedEx with a very dire warning about global supply and demand. Look, um, to be perfectly honest, it's because those companies don't, don't come in and enter their mathematical models of the world. Um, and they rely very heavily on those models in order to try to instruct and sort of uh, guide them as to, as to what they're going to do. Uh, the problem with that is, you know, as we're all sort of experiencing together, is that those models led them to uh, to hold to a view of transitory inflation for too long. Um, and right now it's leading them down the other path uh, where, where inflationary pressures are clearly starting to abate. The, the economy is, is clearly going uh, undergoing some demand destruction. 
Um, but they are hell-bent on, on keeping up with their policies and, and restoring price stability uh, at the expense of a recession. Um, and it's just, it's just a, a, an outcropping from how they view the world, really. So, I mean, I think the consensus is that even a much better than expected PCE won't change their path. But we have some news today. The 10-year topping 4% when it comes to yield for the first time in 14 years. Is that something that Fed officials look at and consider? Definitely. I mean, it, you know, they are, they are very, uh, they're very attuned to how the market is pricing an inflation expectation and how the market is, uh, is, you know, is the market getting on board with their message? Like, are they getting it? Um, and what we're seeing pretty clearly over the last couple of weeks is the market is getting it. You know, they, they're saying that, listen, we're going to raise rates pretty high. We're going to keep them there for a long time. Um, and so price your assets accordingly. And the process that we've been going through over the last, over the last few weeks is, is the market come to grips with that. I mean, you know, the, the most clear way we can see that is, you know, is all, you know, the 10 years certainly one way. But, you know, the market had priced in like three or four rate cuts in 2023, uh, you know, only like six or eight weeks ago. Right now, those cuts are gone. Uh, you know, the market has, has completely taken out any, you know, any idea or any pricing of the Fed coming off of about four and a half percent Fed funds uh, for the entirety of 2023. And that's that's the market sort of ingesting uh, this idea that the Fed is going to stay higher for longer and, and really, you know, uh, going to squash inflation and going to squash demand along with it. All right. You also say with all these different moves when it comes to rates and also inflation that the market is starting to treat developed markets like the U.S., like they're emerging markets. Kind of explain that thesis and, and how that's going to help or make the markets play out in the near term. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, probably the most clear example right now, unfortunately, is what's happening in the U.K. Um, you know, markets, especially the bond and rate market, I mean, bond and, uh, and FX markets, you know, they, they rely a lot on trust. And so if you if you break trust as a government, if you break trust as a fiscal and monetary authority, um, you know, the FX and the, and, the, and, the, and the rate markets really punish you in emerging markets. What's going on in the U.K. right now? You know, they, they came out with the budget, uh, you know, basically fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus on top of eight or nine or 10 percent inflation. And the markets are basically saying, what are you guys doing? Uh, and they're punishing them. And, that, you know, and so what we're seeing in U.K. rates up, you know, 250, 300 basis points. We see what's happening with the pound. They're really treating the U.K. like an emerging market, saying, we don't trust you. We don't trust what you're doing right now. Get your act together and, and, and change your policies, make them in line with reality. Um, and, and until you do so, we're just going to punish your currency. We're going to punish your rates. It can make it very, very challenging for you to actually uh, implement some of these policies that you're putting forth. You know, speaking of currency, you're watching the slides in some foreign currencies. Uh, year to date, the yen down 25 percent, the sterling down 20 percent, the euro down 15 percent. Over the last month alone, the dollar's risen by 5 percent. How does that shape the direction the market's going forward? Because generally with these rate hikes, we're seeing the dollar continuing to strengthen. Um, no, absolutely true. Uh, and, we, you know, everybody's been calling for the top of the dollar here for about, um, you know, about a month. Um, we don't see it quite yet. You know, we're not certainly uh, currency experts, but but there, but all of the also the all the fundamentals are in place for the dollar to, to continue to strengthen, or at least not weaken from here. Um, and functionally, what that does for for U.S. investors, for you know, for our viewers right now, uh, is really it puts a, it puts a headwind on S and P earnings. So you know, with, you know, S and P earnings based on just what's happened with the dollar so far are probably facing a headwind of around ten percent. Um, and with with how um, the market is treating earnings and how the market is. Pricing earnings for next year, we don't think that's quite in there yet. Um, and so, you know, we, we do think there's some downward bias to, to equity markets just based on what's happening with the dollar and the impact uh, on S&P earnings uh, through that channel. All right, Scott, we got to get out of here, but I'll give you one last word or phrase, best investment idea for today. Uh, you know, stay, stay in some safety. Um, you know, don't try to time this thing. If you do have, a, you know, more than a six to 12 month horizon, these are going to be some pretty attractive levels we think to buy. 
But if you think you need the money in the next three to six months, this is still a time for caution. All right, Scott Ladner, we appreciate that insight. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. To move closer to family, live within a smaller budget, or just wanting a change of scenery. Whatever your reasons, having to figure out all the various housing market trends in your area may not be what you signed up for. That's where an agent who is a Realtor comes in. Realtors have the expertise to help you find the right price and navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. That's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.